Well, today we are continuing this uh, series of sermons that we've called Questions God Asks Us. And each week we are looking in the scriptures for a question that God asks of a person. And i got to say again, these are crucial questions for us. Today, the question that God asks Moses, I think, is one of the most important questions we can ask in our lives. Um, so, interesting story. Uh, let me give you a little background. This is obviously about Moses. Moses was a Hebrew born in Egypt. And at the time, around the time he was born, Pharaoh uh, ordered that all male Jewish babies uh, be killed. And so his mother, Moses' mother, in order to protect him, put him in a basket in the Nile uh, near the place where the Pharaoh's daughter bathed. And the princess found him and raised him like he was her own son uh, in the Pharaoh's palace, along with all the privileges that came along with that. As a young man, um, Moses ended up murdering an Egyptian. Uh, when he saw him beating up one of his fellow Hebrews. He was enraged and just uh, impulsively killed this man. And Pharaoh turned against him at that point and uh, sought to kill Moses, so he retreated into the desert. And for 40 years, Moses worked as a shepherd in the Sinai Desert. Meanwhile, his people, the Hebrews, were being terribly oppressed by uh, Pharaoh as slaves. And in this story, God hears the cry of his people and has a solution. So let me pray and then I'll read the story and we'll jump in. God, we, um, we thank you that you uh, have a purpose for our lives, that when you call us, um, you give us something to love and, and someone to love and something to do. And so I pray today that as we explore this topic that you would speak to us. God, this is such an important uh, topic to reflect upon. And I pray that our hearts would be open, uh, that you would speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I'll begin reading uh, at verse 1 in chapter 3 of Exodus. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the prince of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel, then there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, you know, sometimes in the Sinai Desert, actually because of the heat, bushes just uh, get erupted in flames. So this is not entirely unusual. But what happens next is unusual. So Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Then chapter 4, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me? And they say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and turned it, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that you may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. From time to time, I wonder if God ever grows tired <laughs> of certain conversations that he has had over the thousands of years that he has uh, been in relationship with people. I mean, I think there are some conversations, maybe, in fact, I know, that God has probably had over and over and over again. And after thousands of years of this, you have to wonder does even God grow weary <laughs> of these conversations? I mean, I know God is patient and loving and kind and perfect and all that, but I wonder if even he gets a little tired of the same conversation over and over. This conversation between Moses and God that we have just read, I think this is one of those common talks <laughs> that God has had with men and women over the years. And here is how the conversation goes, just like the one we just read. God calls someone to do his work in the world. 
calls them to some task or to deal with some issue that is challenging to the world, some mission, some job. And the person, at least initially, hesitates and refuses and comes up with all kinds of excuses why it is not them who should do this job. They are not the right person. They are not good enough. They're not moral enough. They're not spiritual enough. They don't have the right skills or the right capabilities or time to respond to God's call. Most of the time, they feel inadequate to to fulfill the task that God has called them to do. In fact, in the Old Testament, this is a, a formula for God's call with every prophet. God calls And the prophet always hesitates. And it always has to do with some form of inadequacy. I'm too young. I'm only a youth. I'm not eloquent. Whatever it may be, it's the formula for God calling the prophets of the Old Testament. Here is why I think that people keep having this conversation with God. We just can't get it into our heads that God wants to use ordinary people. Ordinary people to do extraordinary things. We have a hard time believing that God wants to use us. Broken, wounded, ordinary folks to do his work in the world. We just don't get in our heads that God, God's answer to the injustices and the problems of the world and hurts is us. Did you get that? God's answer to the injustices and the challenges and the problems of the world is us. It's you and me. Often we cry out to God. I mean, I have. God, why don't you do something about this? God, what's your answer for this issue, for this challenge that the world is facing, this injustice? God, why don't you do something? God, what is your answer? And folks, the answer is us. You and me. For some reason... That's how God operates. This is exactly the conversation that Moses had with God. Moses, who turned out to be the towering figure of the Old Testament and accomplished amazing things, initially resisted God's call upon his life. And what's interesting about this is that Moses cared deeply about this need, about the mistreatment of his people, about oppression. I mean, he cared about it so much that he was enraged at the sight of one of his fellow Hebrews being beaten and ended up murdering someone. My guess, honestly, was when Moses heard that God was finally going to do something, He was probably ecstatic. Finally, God, 
You're going to do something about the mistreatment of my people. Go, God! <laughs> right? Loved it. Until what? <laughs> By the way, Moses, it's you. You who is going to lead my people out of Egypt. Good news, bad news. Moses, I'm going to send you to rescue my people. And then Moses comes up with the excuses. Who am I? Who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, and plead for the, the liberation of my people. I don't know what to tell them. They're not going to listen to me when I lead. God, I'm not very eloquent. I'm not good speaking in front of others. Boy, familiar excuses. And on top of that, you know, Moses was 80 years old when God called him. There's a whole other sermon there about what we do in our later years. And he had been secluded in the desert for 40 years tending sheep. And he was a murderer. Wow. God wants to use that person? And we can look at Moses and think, Moses, come on. God's speaking to you out of a bush. (laughs) You should respond. God has promised that he'll be with you. You know, we look at Moses and we think, why didn't you respond? But I got to tell you, I think some of us maybe have had similar experiences where God continues to call, puts an issue on our heart that we care about, some injustice, and boy, are there injustices in the world today. And we continue to refuse. That was my story. I thought about this week, how many times God called me to ministry, to do what I'm doing now for, I don't know, a long time. And I resisted. Let me, let me just run through the highlights. <laughs> you know, I told you I became a Christian at the end of seventh grade, no church background, so I, I decided to follow Christ. Started growing in my faith. Fortunate I was in a great, great church. Started learning like just these kids. I you know, exhorted them to read the Bible. I started studying scripture, started learning what, what God had for me. And at the end of my senior year in high school, uh, an older man, you know, at the time I thought he was really old. He was probably 30 years old. And now he's really young. <laughs> said, Steve, you know, uh, how would you like to read the Bible with me and, and learn how to study the Bible and learn how to pray and some of these other things? I said, that would be great. And so every week we met early on Thursday mornings before school, and he, he taught me these things. And at the end of the year, he said, Steve, i got to tell you something. I see you being a pastor someday. <laughs> I almost started laughing. He said, I see you having gifts similar to Ray Ortland. Now, Ray was our pastor. And to me, you know, God was here and Ray was here. I couldn't believe he said this. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. 
So I could tug that away in the back of my mind. And then I went to college. I, was, I had a roommate who was an unusual student at UC Santa Barbara. He got up 5 o'clock every morning and took a huge pile of books. He was a religious studies major. And he went to the corner lounge while I snoozed <laughs> and he studied. He wanted to be a professor someday of religious studies. He's now a professor at Swarthmore College and one of, really one of the leading what we call green theologians in the world, which is you know, someone who cares about the environment and sees the intersection between theology and caring for the environment. And we were, we were roommates. And I'll never forget the conversation we had in our dorm room, that beautiful Santa Barbara day with Campus Point and the beautiful waves breaking and the uh, Channel Islands in the distance, just magical day. He said, Steve, I think you should be a pastor someday. I said, Mark, God would have to hit me over the head with a sledgehammer for me to go to seminary and to be a pastor. I remember it. Also, at UCSB, I'm, I'm gave a speech in a speech class on world hunger, an issue I cared about. And afterwards, we always, the class always gave feedback, and my fellow students said, Steve, you should be a preacher. <laughs> they didn't even know I was a Christian. Why did they say that? Something was in me. Then after college, struggled with my faith. I saw the hip- hypocrisy of the church. I had some issues in my life. I was doubting, you know, just one of those dark nights of the soul. And I met this woman in our church who was an older, she actually was an older woman, who was a counselor. She said, Steve, you know, I'll have a cup of coffee with you once a week and we can talk through some of these issues. She is what we know as a charismatic Christian. She saw visions. Now, before you write them off, let me tell you the visions and what she told me. She said, Steve... Someday you will be a maverick pastor of a downtown brick church. Now, we think of people having visions and we think, how ridiculous. Well, before you write it off, for 17 years, I was a pastor of a brick church at First and Broadway. (laughs) Still, after that time, felt kind of lost, tried to do it figure out what I was going to do with my life, took, what, you know, took a bike trip for a year. I thought maybe this will give me some time to think about life and what I might do with my life. Trip through Britain, Europe, and the Middle East. I was in southern England riding my bike and stopped to eat lunch in a small village, was sitting in front of this church, this old church on a bench, and the vicar came out and invited me to stay with he and his family that night to have dinner. And I remember the conversation I had with him in the study, his study late that night. He said, Steve, I think you will be a pastor someday. <laughs> Same trip later on toward the end, riding my bike through the Sinai Desert. This is true. Not far from Mount Horeb, where Moses heard God from the burning bush. You know, there's not a whole lot out there. I was eating my lunch, and this bush started burning, but it wasn't consumed. And I heard this voice, Steve, come over here. I'm sending you to preach my gospel to be a pastor. That's not true. (laughs) 
I did ride my bike through the Sinai Desert. So you would think I was getting the message, but I still wasn't. Came back trying to figure out what to do with my life, and I decided, you know, God, maybe I'll do this someday, but I'll tell you what, folks, vulnerability here. I was scared to death of speaking in front of people. the truth I said God I, you know I, I can't see myself doing this how about I teach for a while just to get used to being in front of people so I'm teaching student teaching Albany High School and I'm teaching US 20th century US history and I'm comparing Woodrow Wilson and Roosevelt and how their faith shaped them you know Wilson was a Presbyterian Roosevelt was an Anglican Episcopalian. I started comparing their lives and how the, their faith shaped them. And afterwards, this 15-year-old girl comes up to me after the class. Steve, you should be a preacher. <laughs> when you started talking about the love of God, you got so excited. You should be a preacher. Wow. So then, that following summer... I'm working at a camp, and I'm leading a group of kids down the northern coast of California on Route 1 on a bike trip, and there's this kid from Pleasanton, and he said, you know, our church is looking for a youth pastor. <laughs> you should be our youth pastor. <laughs> Still didn't get it. Went back to camp a few weeks later. Independent of this kid, this church calls the camp and speaks to my director, who was a mentor, who had been encouraging me me to be a pastor and he said Steve this church is looking for a youth pastor you have the gifts you should do it just go interview so I went to interview at this Presbyterian church didn't really even know what a Presbyterian was and the rest is history finally I said yes you know I don't think my story is really that unusual. My guess is that some of you, too, have had an issue or something on your heart that God may be stirring in you to do something about. But you have the excuses, like me. I'm not eloquent. I'm not good enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I have made mistakes. I don't fit the pastor mold. I really get nervous speaking in front of people, and that's kind of an important part of the job. <laughs> but here's what I've learned. It's really not about us. It's about God. And God taking what we have and what he's given us, remember, in stewardship, all we have, our education, our relationships, our gifts, our abilities, Everything, our money, everything we have in life is a gift from God, and God just says, here, use that, and I will work through you. And see, this is what he's doing with Moses. When he says, Moses, what's that in your hand? Well, a staff. The staff, what does it represent? His identity, I'm a shepherd. His income, I herd sheep. Take that. Throw it on the ground. You know, God never wastes a miracle and pick it up, what God is saying is, Moses, I will use what you already have, and I will work through you to do this. 
I, and here's the great promise, I am with you. It's not about you. It's about me working through you. God always knows the answers to these questions before he even asks. And he knew that Moses needed to do this. Saying, Moses, if you're willing to lay it down and give it to me, I will do something powerful. I will do something you never imagined. I gotta be honest with you. This church, I've served a number of churches, the abilities, the education, the influence, the affluence of representing this congregation is more than I've ever seen. I mean, many of you have gone to the best schools in the world. Many of you have networks that that are just so large, you know so many people you could have such influence. Use your influence, your affluence to really do something in this world that has so many hurts. And usually when God calls us to use our influence and affluence, it's some kind of cause for the people that can't help themselves. That's the heart of God. So what is it? I wish I could get in your minds today (laughs) and have a conversation with each one of you. Is God calling you to something? Maybe it's just, maybe it is serving on our board. You know, I look at our board who is working so well together right now. It's just a joy to work with them. And I see people using what God has given them over their years to help build up this church. The experience, the job experience, the education, whatever it may be, I see People using it, and it's a joy. It's the body of Christ, how God works. Maybe it's some issue. Maybe it's racial injustice. Maybe it's racial reconciliation. Maybe it's caring for the environment. I don't know what it might be. But I know that if you're quiet and you pray, God may speak to you. Now, notice When I say God speaks to us, I think sometimes it's a nudge. Sometimes, most of the time, it's through other people, (laughs) like in my case. Today, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. I'm going to call him up, and we're going to talk for a few minutes. His name is Matt York. Uh, Matt was a member of my congregation in Chico, and I just want him to share your story. So, Matt, come on up. So this is Matt York. Matt uh, has a nonprofit that he's going to share about. I'm on his board. I'm a terrible board member. I just got to confess that, right? (laughs) But Matt, uh, first of all, tell me a little bit. uh, Your spiritual journey is pretty interesting and unique. Can you share just a bit about that? Uh, Good morning. Um, Nice to see all of you. Uh, I was, uh, I guess I'd say, a late bloomer. So um, I grew up around um, a number of Catholics in my neighborhood. And... um, I was an agnostic at the time. My parents were agnostic, and all my Catholic friends envied I had free Sunday mornings. Um, But later in life, um, I had run into some kind of marital turbulence, and I realized I had no mooring. I had nothing to grab onto. So 
Uh, my wife was a, a Catholic because she had left, uh, left the faith in a certain way, just neglected it. And I was the one who said, we really need to do something to grab onto something here because this is really treacherous territory. So I went to a seeker-targeted church, one of those Willow Creek Bill Hybels church, which really worked. I mean, it, I was saved. I didn't know what the gospel, never heard the gospel before I was in my late 30s. So I was really grateful for that. So tell us about this call that you, that was the first call in your life, God calling you to himself. Now share with us how you've been called to this new thing in your life, relatively new, um, and what, what you're doing, and how God has used what God had already given you um, to fulfill this call. Well, it was, um, you know, maybe 13 years ago, and it was a lot like today, so I heard an incredibly similar message from Steve. And I was just sitting there in the pews. I didn't, I didn't have an intention to do anything, but I, I really heard Steve's words. And uh, you know, it wasn't one moment, and, and my, my, my spiritual activities were, were a momentary or uh, uh, you know, God's words, but um, I did the inventory of what I had, and I had launched a magazine called Video Maker, and I had um, you know, 20 years prior, I had been teaching people how to make video for a really long time in the developed world in uh, uh, Europe and the, U and the United States, all in English. And I learned a lot about video equipment and a lot about how people learn how to make video. And that was what the inventory I had. That was your staff. That was my staff. <laughs> and uh, and it, it just took a very long time to discern, well, what do I do with that? Um, I was drawn to the most needy places in the world. It's almost like I, I hear their cries, again, not audibly, but there are people suffering now, you know, and, and it's really uh, inappropriate that we have people suffering on the planet we share with them. And I thought, okay, well, how do I do with it? I'm a magazine publisher, a video, but people need to learn things um, in, the, in these really, really remote areas. So my organization, Illuminate, is focused on the 70 poorest countries in the world and in the places specifically within those countries where there's no internet and no electricity. And they, they just lack certain pieces of knowledge. Wash your hands during an Ebola pandemic. Um, wear a mask during um, this current pandemic. Um, if you're a young girl and you're 14, resist your parents' pressure for you to marry young, an older man. Or if you're a farmer, plant seven uh, kernels of corn instead of five like your grandfather did. This is a, a, a all called behavior change communication. So I network with NGOs around the world, Catholic Relief Services, Mercy Corps, uh, UNICEF, uh, the uh, various UN agencies. And in the last year, I have been to Paraguay, Liberia, Mozambique, um, Togo, I was there five or six weeks ago, and did a project uh, for the government of Pakistan in Istanbul. Thing, I never would have imagined I'd be to these places, never would have imagined that I would go to places where the State Department says, uh, this is not a place you should avoid going. Do not go to this country. Do not go to level four countries. If you go, leave proof of life. Make sure all of your heirlooms have, a, have assigned a, a value. And uh, I, I now have kidnap and ransom insurance. I go to places where it's just very, very dangerous for light-skinned people to go. Again, never would have thought I would do that. I, and in terms of the doubts, like Steve mentioned, I mean, I only speak English. 
But I, I've taught this, I teach a four-day workshop. I've taught it in, in Portuguese and Spanish and French, but I, I, I didn't use my words for French, but I w worked with my curriculum with an interpreter to empower others to teach. So um, yeah, was, that's my story. I just have, was kind of plucked out of the pews. Uh, God plucked me out of the pews, uh, Steve's words. Again, not momentary, but it was a really long, one or two year process that was stirred in my heart. Steve was a really big part of this calling. So, so tell him about the little, uh, the equipment you use yeah, yeah. in the bush or wherever there's no electricity. <laughs> yeah, so the key element is that uh, I, I train the staff of charities to make one or two or three minute videos about the key behaviors that people in those societies need to adopt to really to advance themselves, to pull themselves out of poverty. And there's a very um, uh, primary piece of equipment they use. All of you have heard about cordless drills, right? Or cordless phones. Well, um, in the last 13 years or so, there's now cordless projector. So video projectors that are, that are battery powered. And each year they get brighter and they last longer and they hold more video. And they are just like a window to the world. So when you, so in an in a, in a agricultural warehouse or a community center or a house of worship, in the poorest places in the world, you point this projector and there's a window to, to wisdom and a window to the world there. And, and the, the, the elders or the people who are respected in these communities appear on that wall and encourage people to adopt these new behaviors. So the cordless video projector is kind of the keystone of the, of the, the piece of equipment that we use. Which is really amazing how technology has changed. Those projectors, I remember the first ones we used in churches were this big. Yeah, and yeah. now they're the size of yeah. a, a pack of cigarettes. Yes, yes, yes. So, last question. Um, how, how has God used this in your life personally? Um, well, first of all, were there any hesitations? And then what's happened in your life since you've done this? Yeah, so again, I mentioned these are really scary places to go to. You know, I'm not, I'm not a man of large stature, um, and I didn't want to go. I mean, often, even now, you know, I, I'm, you know the night before I leave, I, I, I don't have to go. I could cancel it, but it's, you have hesitation every time you, want, you go into a Category 4 country. You know, it's, these are really scary places to go. Um, but I think God has taught me that it's just great to be a help. It's so incredibly rewarding to be greeted by my uh, receiving colleagues. Again, these are uh, staff members or management level people at World Vision or uh, Save the Children. And they, they welcome me with open arms that you're there to help. You're going to advise them. You're gonna, I bring all the equipment with me. I, I flew into the middle of the Ebola crisis when it was at its peak. And, and you just, it's just an incredibly useful feeling that that this is why I was made. This is why God made me. Uh, I got to a point in life where I, I had more than I needed. Um, I had been blessed abundantly. And my job now is to just pass on that blessing. And I happen to be called to the very, very dark corners of the world. And that may not be the case for any, or, any of you, but some of you, maybe so. Others of you will serve here or elsewhere, but really the message is that we are called to use what we have to be God's hands and feet in the world. So last question, how has this changed your view of who God is? Yeah, uh, um, I, I guess uh, God uses us as ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And um, he, he gives us courage and gives us fortitude where we, courage as you stand your ground, 
fortitude is that you step into danger. So God gives us these, these great character traits and has taught me a great deal on, on, on this journey. Thank you, Matt. Can we hear a round of applause? It's nice to know that once in a while, uh, preaching gets through. <laughs> yeah, he uses this broken vessel to use you. God, we thank you for Matt. I pray that you would continue to use him and illuminate, protect him as he goes into these countries, um, and bless him, use him to ease the suffering of your people in this world. In Christ's name, amen.